So I'd like to open the chat box for any any questions. Mm, working with tinnitus. No, I don't have much or any experience of tinnitus, but I would suggest any disturbing phenomena you don't get engrossed in them. Mm. So you should without kind of closing it down, you try to widen your awareness to include, well, the phenomena, phenomenon, and in the awareness of the phenomenon. Now, that's a kind of fundamental um, instruction for everything. But how do you, what is awareness of phenomenon that stands apart, but not separate, if you see what I mean. So it's something that contains the phenomenon, but is also able to sense itself as separate from that. And that's why we've been doing body, because when your awareness is steadied in your body, then the body acts like a certain post or support, which is where we came in on one of the earlier sessions. Yeah. The Kayagata um, mindfulness immersed in the body, the body acts like a post and the other senses pull out. So this is another one. So you remain mindful of that post. So that helps your attention instead of being going out into the phenomenon, the tinnitus, it extends from the body to include that phenomenon. Mm. So there's a sense of openness, dispassion between the phenomenon and the knowing. And that can help to release any psychological um, tensions or stress that the phenomenon is causing you. So whether it's his tinnitus or whether it's a physical discomfort or it's a nagging thought, you know, there it is, there's the body. body is now listening to the nagging thought. Mm-hmm. And there's a kind of open space that around the nagging thought or the physical pain. That open space is the place where the energies can discharge. You know, the psychological energies, emotional energies, and perhaps even the physical energies associated with discomfort. There's a just a comment, it's a rather long comment, expressing interest and enthusiasm for the notion of sensing a way home to what I am, a foundational sense of awareness, presence, knowingness. I think she, the person thinks I called it the true self. Well, I don't think I did, but I might have got close to that. <laughs> I say it's the empirical, the experience. <laughs> it's not actually an entity, but it's that you, when you use the word self in this way, it helps you to, to attend to this, this quality, mm-hmm. which is not an identity or a person. So obviously there's cross-references, person cross-references to Albert Camus, and I'm sure there's quite a few other people who 
get this because it's you know it's quite common actually the the understanding of what that is and how to use that uh, without claiming something about it mm. so using it to release these psychological reflexes and corruptions and identity urges that's what we want to use it for we don't need to know it or claim it we just use it and enjoy it what it is we never know <laughs> don't have to um, compulsive behavior I'm a doer and an achiever I realize intellectually is nothing to do and nowhere to go I feel very uncomfortable if my day has been unproductive <laughs> If I haven't done what I planned for the day, this leads to a lot of negative sankara. How to become comfortable with non-doing? So the person understands the idea, probably thinks it's a good idea, but finds it difficult to realise what this experience is about. That's why it's called a reflex. It's quite compulsive. Compulsions don't let go lightly so it's quite useful to do playful things like doodling <laughs> daydreaming aimless wandering just wandering around aimlessly because it tends to it's like a decompression where you, you're sort of you're, you're active but you're not doing anything useful <laughs> so you get used to a kind of a certain play quality that takes this angst, this pressure out of doing. It makes it less compulsive, more playful. And then that, that's the midway, you see. So you play and maybe you're doing something. You can actually, as you get into that, it's, it's smoother and you can kind of just pause and look at something. Wait for these minor moments. So you begin to, you slow the process down and you do things that have no no result, no result, no success, no failure, it's just like we're doing qigong, you know, just, just. and then feel the, feel the happiness of that, the happiness is the achievement, if the happiness is in the, in the playfulness, not in getting things done, because you don't get happy through getting things done, because there's something else to do. Do I understand correctly that even though the sutta doesn't directly mention anatta out of the three characteristics, anatta means not-self, doesn't directly mention not-self, it is in a way covered in the calming of the formations. Yeah, not-self isn't really an eradication of a self, it's the, it's the ceasing of an activity. So the Buddha didn't categorically deny self or, or affirm it. But there's this experience that creates something we seem to be you know, um, in, in the realm of becoming. In the realm of becoming, that is, it's got a future, a past, a progress, a going somewhere. You know, right? It's, it's, I'm going, I'm doing this, I'm getting that, I'm not this, I am that. It's got some it's got some movement in it and it's moving along. So it's in the realm of becoming, in the realm of time. Mm. 
Yeah? And so that becoming. Now that becoming, as it's compulsive, becomes the kind of centre of my life. That energy and that process becomes the centre of my life. Now I'm doing this, okay, and I'll go there, I'll think about doing that, and tomorrow, and remember that, yesterday. So it's, it's moving around, organising things, working things out, centre of my life, it's me. <laughs> what else is it? It's me. Uh, the Buddha say, well, no, if you actually recognise the fundamental quality of that is, an, is a moving energy that's quite compelling and always wants to be doing the next thing. And if it's not doing the next thing, it's remembering the last thing and judging the last thing. So to get better at doing the next thing, so this is always operating in the realm of becoming. And so, you know, so that kind of becomes my identity because it gets compulsive. It's understood this is just the energies moving around, anichang, and one is no longer so fascinated by them. You know? So there's a dispassion. And it doesn't really matter. You know? And so when the compulsion, which is really what upadana, clinging, means, it's compulsion, compulsion relaxes, then these energies, these movements are seen as phenomena. There's a worry, there's an eagerness, there's an urgency, there's an irritation, there's an attitude. There's a thought. It's not a self at all. It's just a bundle of phenomena stuck together. So it's certainly the calming and stilling of the energies helps. The composing of the energies helps. The relaxing of the energy helps. And the clear understanding. This one arises and passes. This thought comes and goes. This powerful urge arises and passes. So then... What kind of a person is that? Why bother? Why bother to have an identity? Not that useful. In fact, it's a source of problems because there's always measuring in terms of that identity and then suffering occurs. But really, quietening the formations is the way to liberation, not annihilating anything, just quietening, the stilling of all sankharas. This is peaceful, this is sublime, the stilling of all sankharas, disengagement, cessation, the destruction of craving, dispassion, nibbana. person mentions about being with breathing. Follow the breathing to the pause after the exhalation and so forth. This involves following the breath through the physical body rather than concentrating one focal point, like the nostrils. How important is it to focus on one point? Uh, I've always thought for, for nimitta, focal concentration is very important. So even though the aim of practice is liberation rather than pleasant absorptive states, 
I understand these states can lead to further insight. So how should we be practicing? Well, then you should be practicing, but you know, if you're interested in what I'm saying, you could try this for a while and see how it goes. And for this, there's no focal point on a point in the body. It's just the awareness of the rhythm of breathing through the whole body. This is because the sutta doesn't say focus on a point in the body, so I see no point in bringing that into the teaching if you don't need it. If you do need to focus on a point in your body, just find somewhere you feel comfortable and let the breathing flow through that. But remember, the Buddha does say be sensitive to your entire body, breathing in, breathing out. So sooner or later you've got to get to the whole thing. Now as regards nimitta, nimitta means any kind of sign or characteristic and the sign you're looking for is perhaps the sign of gladness, the sign of settledness, the sign of ah, like a certain, you know, things that the mind is picking up. So it's nothing that kind of paranormal because you experience these signs all the time. You know, if you bake a cake, you take the cake out of the oven, Mm, it's not right, you know, put it back in again, take it again, oh, that's it, that's a sign, that kind of, uh-huh, that's a sign, <laughs> it means, oh, it's right, it's good, that's what you're looking for. For that, you can't get too tight, you've got to be listen receptively and let, let the heart speak. So then, if that occurs and you settle in, the likelihood is that this absorbing process will continue and from there your mind settles and you can review phenomena uh, and release phenomena. And it was just to not get too tangled up in the language. If the language is helpful, use it. If the language is not helpful, forget it. <laughs> if the language is useful, if you start getting too thinking about what you're doing and is this jhana or not jhana, do I need a nimitta? Then you're getting tangled up in the language, just forget the language and enjoy the experience and trust yourself. So a person still kind of getting calm and then a, something like a bomb goes off, I have to do something. I saw this reaction and returned to breathing. It took quite some time to settle. Still felt like I should be doing something. <laughs> well, I should be letting things settle. When the bomb goes off, they do. The occasional bomb goes off. And then you just, okay, let the bits and pieces settle down again. That's what you do. Uh, and relax. Because eventually what happens is, is the system gets more f fluent at receiving these little bombshells. Ooh, so the next one, just relax more quickly. Energy begins to moderate. You don't get so many bombs going off because the whole system has chilled a bit. That's the what you've got to get out of these reflexes. And they don't just drop. They, they subside, but often they twitch back to life again. They twitch and they start, you start getting twitchy. Okay, catch that in your whole body, breathing in, breathing out, and just it will 
As long as you don't follow it with your thoughts, it will tend to subside. How to build more energy in the practice as one ages. person has been practicing for over 30 years and now the person is in their 70s and energy is lessening. Qigong helps, but it's a matter of letting go and acceptance. Yep. I mean, energy, yeah, it does does recede over the lifespan. But that's not a bad thing, actually, because we don't have so much kind of passion running around. You really don't, you haven't got the energy to get that worked up about anything. <laughs> a, that's what I... I find <laughs> it just doesn't run very far or bounce around so much. <laughs> just <laughs> so it's quite a blessing. <laughs> mm. Very important not to waste any of it because you don't have so much of it. You can't fling it around like you're 25. You've got too much of it. It's just all over the place. <laughs> For when you're 70... <laughs> <laughs> you don't. You can't fling it around. <laughs> it doesn't. You just got to <laughs> just ca- catch it and hold it and enjoy it and put it in the right place. Uh, qigong helps because qigong does actually build up. Um, well, it's got three aspects to it. One is jing, and jing is like a certain almost an elixir, so it feeds the neural tissues and strengthens them. So you've got qi, qi, jing and qi, and qi is more like spirit. Jing is something like a certain, you could say, I mean, like a, like an elixir, but clearly it's not a physical substance, but it's in, almost like an energetic substance. And it, it strengthens and feeds the, uh, the subtle nerve tissues. And these, these I'm not talking about the things that make us move, but the things that wrap around the organs and moderate metabolism. Yeah, moderate digestion and breathing and all the kind of stuff the body is doing in metabolizing. So this the liver, you know, and all that kind of thing. So, that, so all that is getting energy. Now, if, you, if you've got some, you're restoring your energy, your digestion improves, your breathing improves, your blood pressure changes, your heartbeat changes, yeah? And so you're building up the proper connective tissues that really do with the mechanics of this body, and I don't like to call mechanics, it's not a machine, but the organics of this body. Generally, this is very important because, you see, generally people these days are often too much yang, which means too much drive, because it's a driving kind of world. So when your energy goes into drive, you see, then you actually use the energy for driving, but you don't use it for restoring. So people basically burn out. Yeah? Because the energy is going into doing, therefore it's transferring into action. It's not actually turning back to just cleaning the system. So we, we end up depleting our, our life source because we've used all the energy that could be there working on our organs and our breath and our metabolism and purifying things, it's going out to doing stuff. And this is a very yang-driven society and world we live in. So it really is 
you know, important to just bring it home. And, um, you know, this will certainly helps for longevity, although clearly we're not want to live forever anyway. But for, for quality of life, so you're not kind of bleary and groggy, it keeps you bright because you're feeding, energy is feeding the subtle bodily systems. But you keep it stored up, don't blow it out. And one way of remembering to do this, whatever you do, keep your whole body with what you're doing. You know, if you're walking, walk with your body. Don't walk with your mind rushing off into the future. Just walk with your body. Your mind is right in your body as it walks along, not where, what's going to happen when you get there. Right? You don't need to do that because if you walk with your body, you will get there anyway. Right? The body carries you there, doesn't the mind? But your mind's thinking, oh, come, 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 let's get it, do that, do that. That's, that's using energy. And where's it going? Throwing it away. So collect. You're going somewhere, stay in your body. And you're keeping it, energy from running out. So this isn't, you know, it isn't that refined, but it, this is daily life practice. Somebody's mentioning about practicing anapana sati when you do walking. And uh, I mean, you can formalize it, you know, Breathing in, lifting a foot, breathing down. But, boy, you could just fundamentally use the walking as a rhythm, like the breathing. Use the rhythm of walking. Because the energy, body energy is still doing the same thing as it does with breathing. Now use the rhythm of walking. Nice, soft, swaying, gentle walk. It's not a march. The march is always plap, 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 forward. The proper walk is slightly swaying, like you're strolling, then the rhythm of the walking also keeps your body energy nicely fluid. Then you feel comfortable in walking, not walking, thinking about where you're going, you're walking here. Well, that keeps it all contained. Somebody's feeling a bit of angst over the ending of the retreat. <laughs> oh well, what can we do? Can we keep going for another few weeks? Well, well, yes, I know what you mean. I enjoy this too, incidentally. Um, it's a great pleasure. I enjoy it too. Well, I mean, just we have the recordings and um, the practice and try to listen again, internalize and stay with the practice. Maybe we'll meet again. Somebody asking about death and dying. The person mentions uh, a comment I made, bring your virtues to your heart or collect your virtues in your heart. That sounds beautiful and poetic, but I don't know what, what does it mean. <laughs> My question is, where can I find the quote? Well, you, I, I've just given it to you. It's not... A quote I've written down, it's just something that came out of my mouth. <laughs> Bring your virtues to your heart or collect your virtues in your heart. So, what are virtues? He means the patience. Uh, one has been patient, one has cultivated some generosity, 
one has come, one has generated some moral integrity. Yeah. One has befriended others. One has you know, generated a little bit of compassion. One has learned to let go of a few things. One has cultivated some restraint. So these are things just to savour. And it's a good idea to do it every every day, particularly at the end of the day, maybe before you retire, or you know, as you're retiring, just recollect today. You know, I had a, I stopped that impulse I was going to follow. Aha! Uh-huh. I cultivated that. I offered that. You know, I, I developed that. So just to touch into the experience of those, you collect yourself in those. That's a good practice for the end of the day because you never know whether you're going to wake up again. It's good to have your suitcase packed. So I'm expressing thanks and, uh, you know, reflecting. It's uh, how we've learned to dismiss our open, steady presence. Uh, open, steady presence is life itself, and instead, just keep going, seeking some, seeking experiences externally, and how regretful that is. Mm. So yeah, it's, t- it's, and it's it's really built in, Bawa Tanha, and uh, you know, the society feeds on that and definitely encourages it. So you know, it helps to have Kalyanamita spiritual friends and meditation sessions to just you know check that, and also recognize whenever that starts happening in meditation. You know, you meditation in order to get something going so you can get to something at the end of it, and just whoa, wait a minute. I know this. I know the tune. I don't want that. Thanks. Just take you. You know, get out of Bhava Tanha. So someone asked, is refusing to identify with someone or something a movement just as unhelpful as wanting to identify with? Refusing to identify. So what, what refuses? Mm. Isn't that an identity? Mm. Something takes a stand. I'm not going to identify. Isn't that an identity? Even if it's a shadow identity, it doesn't call itself an identity, but it's the foundation of an identity. It's a compulsion that says, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to. So this is vibhava tanha, the, um, the craving to not exist, to not form. So person experiences shoulder aches in their long sittings. Um, well, you know, you've got to kind of exp- not localize the body. What happens when we get painful part? We kind of struggle with that painful part, and that generally doesn't resolve very much, or it might do. What I would suggest if you're shoulder aches, then feel what's happening in your chest and your neck, and also weigh down your back. So you gently push your lumbar back in, open your chest, because 
you know, if the shoulders are locked, they don't want to be locked. You know, the body doesn't want to be tense and in pain. So why is it doing that? Something's kind of out of balance. So it generally means, um, you know, some part is not doing its thing. <laughs> you see, so what's happening is one part's doing more than it need to do. Is your shoulders are tightening up because your back isn't operating. So if you take a firm seat with your pelvis, tuck your tailbone into the ground and then gently draw in your lumbar region and open your chest. And then lightly lift your head. And it's encouraging your shoulders to, to drain down your back or open your arms to your fingertips and you know, it's kind of breathing. Once you get to an open form, open the form up, the whole form, open the whole form up and and breathe. Okay. Someone asking about Arupa jhanas. <laughs> what a way to finish Arupa jhana. Well, again, this is a kind of a, a slightly confusing point because the Buddha doesn't teach Arupa jhana. There's no such thing as Arupa jhana. Um, in the suttas, we have these, when the chitta is settled in this fourth jhana, it said it can turn, its attention can turn into these formless states or it can turn to the ending of the asava the ending of the asava so you, you can direct it to formless states um, and, okay you know infinite space infinite consciousness it can do these formless states where the form body is dissolved the energy body is dissolved into these kind of formless states um, so that, and then you can, <laughs> uh, and so one can direct it to the ending of the the asava, these reflexes, and teachings is, well, you know, if you can do both, fine, but if you can only do one, direct it towards the ending of the asava, because that's the important one. Now, in the later tradition, when they made jhana itself somewhat disembodied. They didn't really see much distinction between the disembodied first, second and fourth jhana and these other ones, so they made them into jhanas too. So they call it eight jhanas because of their understanding of jhana was somewhat formless, I think. I can't, but anyway, that's where, so it's a bit of a, a language problem, but um, it's not necessary. Mm, it's not necessary to cultivate it. So we've come to this time. Yeah, let me push the pause button.